0: Heavenly Father, today I'm, I'm just pumped about what you're doing in this church as you, as you push us and you challenge us and you move us towards uh, serving others and, and sharing the gospel and living the gospel. And God, as we open your word today, may you uh, touch our hearts. May you, may you move us. And it, you're going to have to tailor-make this one, God, to each individual. So make it impactful for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last week, you know that we started a sermon series on the book of Song of Solomon, probably the least uh, preached book in the Bible. It's kind of funny. Word must be getting out because we've had three conference officials here today. Tim and Orlando are here. Steve Jenks was in first service. I don't know. Uh, Dr., or Elder Machado is probably watching online right now. I don't know. Word's getting out. I may start looking for jobs. Let's see. We started this sermon series last week through the Song of Solomon, this beautiful love letter written between Solomon and Shulamite—some some call her Shulamite—I'm call her Shulamite today, uh, his bride. Last week we talked about the bride coming down the aisle and how beautiful she was through his eyes, and then we compared that to the bride of Christ—that's the church—and how much more beautiful we are through the eyes of the groom, as Jesus says, "You are worthy. You are beautiful." Today. We still talk about true love, but the subtitle today is, True Love, It Waits. A handful of years ago, there was a news article that went out on larknews.com. It's a, it's a, a website that basically pokes fun at evangelical Christians. And here's what the headline reads. Christian couple maintains abstinence through the first two years of marriage. Shall I keep reading? I heard a no. Okay. Too bad. Here's the picture of the couple. They're on the screen. John and Darla Crocker, who dutifully abstained from sex during their 14-month courtship, have remained abstinent after marriage and plan to do so indefinitely. There's a gasp. (laughs) She says, if it was holy before, it must be doubly holy afterwards, Darla says. They've now completed 25 months of marriage with abstinence, going along with their normal jobs, their normal lives, their social calendar, with no hint of relational strain. Sometimes after dinner, they will kiss in the kitchen and start having thoughts, Darla says, but they never fail to pull back. Darla breaks away to spray cool misted water on her face. Listen to what John does. John eats a whole raw potato to take himself out of the mood. Jot that down, somebody. They don't know when they'll finally break the pledge, and they feel no pressure. After abstaining for so long before marriage, a few extra years is nothing, says Darla. For us, true love waits and waits and waits. And I read this story, and I think, this can't be true. Uh, I think they are the extreme, don't you think? Uh, They've taken a beautiful gift that God gave humans, and they made it a jail sentence. They've taken what God created for us and made it something to avoid. In fact, if you grew up in a Christian home, a Seventh-day Adventist home, I bet sex was something you'd ever talked about and didn't want to talk about. In fact, it was lumped in with all the other negative things in the Bible that are bad and shameful and you don't ever talk about it. When in reality, it's beautiful and it's a special encouraged part of a married life. Solomon, And his fiancée, they understand that true love, it waits, and they share it this morning. Now, if you're married, or if you uh, don't think this applies to you, let the Holy Spirit tailor make it for you. There's a message for everybody in here. And if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, where we read part of this story. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there's a blue book in front of you. Um, It's the Pew Bible, and you can follow along on page 479. You should read the same words that I'm reading. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. Now, as you're turning there, remember that this is a, a love story. It's a song. It's poetry. Solomon is writing Back and forth with his to be bride, and they, they talk about how wonderful each other are. In fact, in this book, there's friends that underscore how beautiful she is. And in Song of Solomon, chapter two, we get an interesting scene. Let me set the scene for you. Solomon and his fiancee, they're there, they're snuggling on the couch. They are very, very close. Um, they're eating some snacks. As I was reading this uh, this last week, it reminded me of, of a made-up scene in my mind, but you'll resonate with it. It's like the first week of college at Southern Adventist University. You walk into the cafeteria, and there's a boyfriend and a girlfriend. They're over in the corner, and a table by themselves. They're sitting on the same side of the table, which is awkward already. They only have one plate of food. And they're feeding each other and laughing and giggling as they do. Isn't that gross? <laughs> That's what this reminds me of, definitely. Here's what it says in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, starting in verse 3. So Shulamite she begins, she says this. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with with apples. I am faint with love. Ah. She says, verse 6, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles, and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're on a couch. I don't know if they're on a park bench. I don't know if there's some hanky-panky going on. It's kind of an awkward situation. We know something's kind of happening here. Hormones are raging. Love is in the air. They're whispering sweet nothings to each other. It's just gross to me. Yet Shulamit, the to-be bride, she has the strength in the moment to go with God's plan when it comes to being physically active with someone. And in the heat of the moment, she gives a special message to the daughters of Jerusalem Or some translations, some commentators say the seed of Abraham, which is every Christian ever out there, that's you and me, no matter what age you are, if you're young or if you're old, she says it right there in verse 7, she says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, or in other words, by all living things, anything that has living breath in them, uh, they are witness to this, she says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires." Shulamit emphatically says, do not. She doesn't mess around and say, well, if you don't mind. She doesn't say, well, I hope that you will. She says, do not. It's emphatic. It's it's not a choice. She's saying, I know something you don't know. Don't do it because I know the heartache that happens if you do it. She's shouting a warning. Last October, I got to go on a cruise with some good friends of mine, and it was a lot of fun. We went with some church families, and it was just a blast, and one of those families was the Mitinger family, one of our most well-loved families in the church, Carl and Fiorella, Maddox and Marshall, and when we got to St. Thomas, uh, part of the crew went on a, a snorkeling expedition, which was way too pricey for my family, and so we said, hey, Mitingers, why don't you hang out with us, and we'll do something that's a little less, less costly. So we get off the boat and we walk over to the Jeep rental place and we rent some Jeeps. That'll be fun, 100 bucks for the whole family for the whole day. We get there and they, they sign us, we sign our lives away and we get these Jeeps, here's a picture of them. This is the, uh, the, the Smith Jeep is the black one, the, the Mitinger Jeep is the white one. And we get in these Jeeps, Here's another picture of my boys in the back. They're all strapped, look at, look at their excitement. They're ready to go. They have no idea what's gonna happen. We get in, and and the guy that rents these Jeeps to us, he says, now, I want you to know this is a British island, and we drive on the wrong side of the road. And I think, I've driven for 20-plus years. All you got to remember is drive on the wrong side of the road, and you're good to go. So we load up in these Jeeps, and we head out, and we drive all over the island up to the highest peaks, the lookouts. We see the airport. We see the boats and the harbor. We drive up over the top of the mountain and down the other side, down to the beach that's down there, a beautiful beach. In fact, I got a picture of us. Uh, oh, oh, there's the Miningers. Yep. And then there we are at the beach having a good time. After we're done with the beach, which it's funny that we live 45 minutes from the beach, but we get on a ship to go thousands of miles away to go to a beach, whatever. We load up in the jeeps drive back up over the mountains, we come back down into the town, we come to a stoplight in the city where we have to turn left, and I put my blinker on, I'm the front car right there with the traffic light, dingers are right behind, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, the light turns green, and I turn left into the right side of the road, the wrong side, and Fiorella is right behind me. So we drive, and, and within a matter of moments, there's many cars coming head on to us, and they're all doing the same thing. They're all saying, stop, 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 that way. You're on the rock. Do not come this way. Go that way. Do not come. Stop, 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 stop. We find a gap in the median, and we shoot across to the other side where we finally make it back to the boat safely. But the warning of the oncoming traffic reminds me so much of what Shulamit says. As she says, do not arouse and awaken love until it so so desires. Do not, she says. She's not toying around with the idea. She says, don't do it. It's almost like she says that it's a slippery slope once you get started, that you can't stop when you're on it. It's interesting that she uses the word love. She says, do not awaken or arouse love. Now, the King James Version gets it wrong here because it's translated as my love. But it's not my love, like it's a personal to her, it's just love, like personification, like love exists as an an individual, like it can make decisions, like it it is a being, like it it, it has a person with it. She says, don't awaken love until it's the right time. She says, there is a right time, and she uses this Hebrew word, here it is on the screen. Uh, Now, Hebrew was not my finest class, So uh, there's probably some Hebrew scholars that can say this better than me. In fact, I'm not even gonna say it. There's the Hebrew word. You can Google it as well, just like I did. And she says, this is the right time when love should happen. When love desires, when love delights. I like these last two the best. When love is full or when love is complete. Love takes time. It doesn't become full or complete overnight. It's patient. It waits for commitment, a a lifetime agreement, a protective promise that says, in sickness and health till death do us part. Love isn't fast food. It's a slow cooker. Love takes time to develop and unfold. It's like somebody that goes to Target that likes puzzles you don't go to Target and buy a thousand piece puzzle, get it home, cut open the box, spill all the puzzle pieces out on the table, find the corner pieces, build the border around the outside and say, I'm done, it's complete. It takes hours of finding the right piece that makes sense to fit here, and, and, and after a while of committedness, you have a complete picture of what it should look like when it's complete and full. No, nobody goes out to mow the grass and they fill up their lawnmower, and they pull, and they pull, and they pull, and finally they get it started. They don't go out and mow the front swath of grass by the road and then say, I'm done. It takes time and effort and commitment to make it happen until it's complete. Love takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment because it's for a lifetime. And if I may speak to the teenagers in this room for a moment, although I think it applies to each and every one of us, The right time is not when your hormones say it's time. The right time is not because you think he's just so cute or she's so hot. The right time is not because you can get away with it and not get caught. The right time is not because others have done it and they didn't have any problems with it. The right time is when God has developed and grown and cultivated and matured love into its most committed form, and then it's ready. I'll never forget the morning that I was at minister's meeting at Cahutta Springs uh, Youth Camp there in, in Georgia, Georgia Cumberland Conference, and, and it was a cold February, January morning. My phone rang, and I was in the room. I my, uh, my buddy Josh Woods was the roommate that time, and uh, I stepped out onto the balcony that overlooks the lake there and answered the phone call, and I said, it was, it was one of my youth, from my youth group. I said, hey man, what's up? And he said, Pastor Matt, I, I don't know how to say this, but I'm gonna be a dad. He's 18 years old, I knew him, he's a good kid. I was involved in church, connected. He'd help me with whatever. I knew his girlfriend too. They'd been together a little while. She was 15 years old. And as we talked on the phone, there wasn't a lot to say other than me praying for him because I knew that the next steps of his life were gonna be the hardest ones that anybody can really ever face because he's a kid trying to raise a kid. He's a kid trying to be a father and a, and a would-be husband. He's, he's, a, he's a leader in his home that's trying to get a job, but he doesn't even have a GED. And as I think about their situation, I think, why didn't you wait? Love wasn't complete yet. Love is patient. It takes time. You know, Shulamite, as she writes this, uh, this, this part of the Song of Solomon, it's not the only place where she says, let love develop and grow and don't arouse and awaken it in fact she says it three different times this one in chapter two she says it in chapter three verse five as she's getting ready for the wedding day she says don't don't arouse or awaken it she says it in chapter eight verse four too when she's talking to her bridesmaids she's married now yet she points back to her bridesmaids and she says let me just remind you don't arouse or awaken love until it's complete until it's completely ready i find it interesting that as we read Song of Solomon in chapter two, it's the girl that is the one that stands up and says, not yet, it's not the man, but it's the woman that guards herself and protects herself and doesn't put herself in situations where she will be aroused. Now that's not to say that the man doesn't have a role in this. In fact, here's how I picture them together. The description is right there in verse six on what the man is doing. And um, I may take some poetic license here, but this is how I imagine it. Verse 6 describes him. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. Uh, He is holding her. He's hugging her. His hands are maybe around shoulders. They're not anywhere else they shouldn't be. And I imagine him staring her in the eyes and saying, I want nothing more than to be as close as I can be with you. I want it so bad, and we will be together one day, but we have to wait until love is complete, because love is patient. It's almost like Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, I know you see it on the screen there, it's like he understands this principle as he describes what love is like. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, he says, love is patient. It takes time. And this is where this sermon takes a dramatic shift from thinking of Solomon and his bride to our groom and us as the bride, just like we did last week. You know, as long as I can remember, people, old people, have always said the same thing When's Jesus going to come? I hope he comes in my lifetime. I want to see him. My grandparents said this. My grandparents' grandparents said this. You know, you've been there too. I hope he comes in my lifetime. I, I want to see him. I mean, we're all waiting for the second second coming. We're all waiting for the same thing. I mean, it's it's a core belief of who I am is looking to the skies. It's it's who we are as Seventh-day Adventists. We're always eyes to the skies, peeled eyes, waiting for Jesus to come, because that's who we want to be with. And yet I wonder sometimes. Uh, When we ask him, um, you hear prayers all the time. Oh, Lord, please come soon. Why aren't you coming soon? Does he not care? Does he not want to come to us? I mean, he says stuff in the Bible, like John 14. He says, here it is on the screen. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back so that you may be with me. Yet, was he joking? Because he hasn't come back yet. Where is he? At the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, he says these words, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Now, I'll tell you what, If I know his timing is different than our timing, but that's not fast. Is he stuck in traffic somewhere? I mean, what's taking him so long? Where is the Lord, the one that we love, the one that we want to be with, our groom? You know, I think Jesus understands patience and the, and the patience of love more than anybody else. Because so often, we think about how he's uh, slow for us, and we have to be the patient ones. You think about him for a moment. He's like the groom in Song of Solomon that puts an arm behind our heads, and an arm that's wrapped around us and embraces us. And he says to us, I want to be with you more than anything. But love isn't complete just yet. See, he waits, And he waits for one reason only, and it's for one more. You know, I've used this passage several times in the last couple years, or last year here at Forest Lake Church, and uh, maybe because it's an impactful passage to me, or maybe it's just because I long to see Jesus, but it's this passage in 2 Peter where it says these words. Here it is on the screen for you. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for even the last one, so that his bride, the people that love him, will be complete. And it's like he puts his arms around us in that embrace of love, and he says, I want to be with you more than anything. And in Revelation 14, he says these words, here it is, this waiting calls for the patience and endurance of the saints. That's you and me. He is coming. I believe it. He wants to be with us, but he's waiting for just one more. And one day soon, our patient endurance will pay off because the marriage ceremony is coming between the groom and the bride. And on that marriage day, you and I will be with Jesus forever. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, as we see the love of Two people in Song of Songs, we see your love for us, too, as you patiently wait for just one more. God, give us the patience to wait, too. God, we love you, and we can't wait to see you, in Jesus' name, amen.